Stand Firm Ministries, Biblical Truth, taught by Dr. Shane Perez. So today we continue our uh, really part two introduction on Jeremiah. And this week you get to start your reading. Jeremiah's a really big book, 52 chapters. And we just uh, require that you read two chapters a day. We do have surveillance everywhere, so we see you. Okay, not really. We don't even ask you. But if you could, uh, if you have the opportunity, and I know some of you are in different Bible studies and different things like that, but if, uh, if God so leads you, read through the book of Jeremiah with us. If you've got a bulletin, it's, uh, the, the uh, reading schedule is in your bulletin, and then you also, if you want it all on one sheet, here's the reading schedule for the whole um, for the whole book of Jeremiah, and it's back there. You can pick one up on your way out. But read the book of Jeremiah. I can't say necessarily that it will be all positive and uplifting, but it is the Word of God, and there's reason why God gave us the book of Jeremiah. So let's make sure we read and study a book and get what God uh, has uh, for us in there. So we're going to look at Jeremiah today. Jeremiah, he didn't live a good life he lived a great life. Now, Jeremiah was a prophet of God. What a prophet of God was, uh, we have books in the Old Testament where we call the prophetic books. Those were messengers, prophets that God called, for the most part, to go warn Israel or Judah, or maybe both, that they needed to change their ways. They were God's chosen people, and they were not living for God. And if they didn't change their ways, God was going to uh, punish them or redirect them. And he warned them that he would do that by letting people come and uh, take over uh, their land. So Jeremiah was a prophet of God. Now his main role was to deliver the message to Judah, the southern part. The nation of Israel split. You have Israel to the north and uh, Judah to the south. And Israel got overtaken by the Assyrians. And now Judah uh, had bought a little bit more extra time, so they were sort of still around. But Jeremiah was giving the um, nation of Judah a message from God. Now one thing amazing about Jeremiah is he gave them a message uh, before they were overtaken. He was there while they were overtaken, and then he was also there after they were overtaken by Babylon. So when you read through the book of Jeremiah, you will get a sense of all of that as he lived through it all. Also, one thing neat about Jeremiah is he served as one of God's prophets through the rule of five different kings. Now, you see the names of those kings. I won't pronounce them because you can have fun pronouncing them yourself. But the first one you may recognize as Josiah. Josiah was one of the uh, more positive kings. Um, you know, most of the kings of Judah were not very God-following kings. Josiah was. This was a time when Jeremiah was young and, and first got his start. But all the kings after it did not listen, did not listen to God. So Jeremiah was talking to these kings that would not listen to him, even though his message was from God. Now, he is known as a weeping prophet, mainly for this uh, passage in Jeremiah 13, 17. It says, My soul will weep in secret for your pride, 
My eyes will weep bitterly and run down with tears because the Lord's flock has been taken captive. So we're going to look a little bit at Jeremiah's life today. I want to look at an overview and I want to make sure you understand that he didn't live a good life. His life was very challenging. And there's not a specific passage that I'm really going to go uh, teach from this morning. But we're going to look at a variety of passages as they go through the book of Jeremiah. First one we're going to look at is Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. Jeremiah didn't live a good life. He had a pretty rough life. Now you would think that his life would be blessed. Here he was, even as a young man, he got a calling from God, and he didn't run from God and go live in sin and, and worship himself and worship things of the world, but he got a calling from God, and he obeyed God. God, what do you want me to do? And he went and was doing it. And where did that get him? Well, let's see in Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. Now, Pasher the priest, the son of Emmer, who was chief officer in the house of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things. Then Pasher beat Jeremiah the prophet and put him in the stocks that were in the upper Benjamin gate of the house of the Lord. So that was his reward for doing what God told him to do. He got beat, and then he got put in the stocks. And if you have, uh, well, what exactly is stocks? We don't do that much nowadays. Uh, but there's a picture of something similar to that would have been what they did as far as putting someone in stocks. But not only did they put him in stocks, but they really desired that Jeremiah be killed in Jeremiah 26, verse 11. Then the priest and the prophet said to the officials, to all the people, this man deserves the sentence of death because he has prophesied against this city, as you have heard with your own ears. Jeremiah didn't live a good life. And in fact, they also, uh, the king, burned Jeremiah's scroll. In Jeremiah 36, 23, as soon as Jehudai had read three or four columns of the scroll from Jeremiah, King Jehoiakim cut them off with a scribe's knife and threw them into the fire that was burning in the fireplace. He kept on doing this until the whole scroll was burned up. And in Jeremiah 38.6 we see Jeremiah was left to die in the mud. Then they took Jeremiah and cast him to the cistern, uh, the king's son, which was in the court of the guardhouse. And they let Jeremiah down with ropes. Now in the cistern there was no water but only mud. And Jeremiah sank into the mud. Jeremiah did not live a good life. It wasn't very pleasurable. And really, uh, what I think would be the worst thing of all is they did not listen to him. Remember, he was a prophet of God. 
God called him and said, I need you to deliver a message. And Jeremiah said, okay, I will deliver that message for you. What is a message? So God gives him the message and he goes and he does what God tells him to do. Okay, God, I will go deliver the message. He delivers a message. What happens to it? Nothing positive. He has it written down and he has scripture written down and they just burn it. They put him in stocks. They beat him. They tell him, hey, this, this guy deserves to die. But worst of all, nobody would listen to him. Jeremiah 7, 27, you shall speak all these words to them, but they will not listen to you, and you shall call to them, but they will not answer you. God warned them beforehand. I got a job for you to do, but it's not going to be very successful in your eyes. And then in Jeremiah 13, 10, this wicked people who refuse to listen to my words, who walk in the stubbornness of their hearts and have gone after other gods to serve them and have bowed down to them, let them be just like this waistband, which is totally worthless. It continues in Jeremiah 17, 23. Yet they did not listen or incline their ears, but stiffened their necks in order not to listen or take correction. And in chapter 19, verse 15, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I'm about to bring on this city and all the towns the entire calamity that I have declared against it, because they have stiffened their necks so as not to heed my words. They did not listen. And God knew that they were not listened, but he sent Jeremiah anyway. You think Jeremiah had any questions about that? God, why are you wasting my time? You sent me to deliver a message, and you said beforehand they're not going to listen, and I go, and they do not listen, and they just treat me terribly. So what's the point? Why am I doing this? And we started the service, and we were talking about the Lord's Prayer. It's not our will. It's God's will. You can look at God and say is the Old Testament just talks about God's judgment because he does bring judgment. He brings Babylon and he does judge the nation of Judah. But if you look in the fine print here, you see the love of God and the patience of God. Constantly giving his people chance after chance, reaching out to them. I know they're not going to respond, but I'm giving one more chance anyway. Time after time, he's reaching out to his people. That's encouraging to me because I know in my relationship with God, God had to reach out to me more than once. I grew up in a church, um, very young age. I knew what the relationship with, with God was all about, but guess what I did? I decided to go the other way. And every now and then, God would come knocking. Guess what I would do? Just like them, just like the, the picture of the monkey. Cover my ears. I'm not listening to you, God. I'm having a little too much fun now. This seems like direction that is going to bring me happiness and joy and success. I'm going over here. Then a little bit later, God knocks again. Then knocks again. And eventually, after my life of fun ended up a life of misery, I said, oh, God, is that you? Maybe I'll listen now. 
But God loves us and he's patient with us. He's patient. He has a history of being patient with nations, but he's also patient with us as individuals. But Jeremiah didn't live a good life. They end up calling him a liar. And this is kind of interesting in Jeremiah 43, 2. I'll just skip the first part where it says the fun names. All the insolent men said to Jeremiah, you are telling a lie. The Lord our God did not send you to say, do not go to Egypt to live there. I know we haven't officially started reading, but what happens in Jeremiah is uh, when they saw Babylon coming, they wanted to leave. We're going to run to Egypt. Remember, they always had Egypt was going to help them and save them. And it's so weird because Egypt was always their enemy and they never came through to help them. But that was their solution. When Babylon comes, we're going to run to Egypt. And Jeremiah said, no, God said, you stay here. No, you're not going to defeat them. And you're going to get the punishment that you deserve. But I will rebuild you and you will be blessed again as a nation. But do what I tell you to do. To do and you just stay here. And they decide, no, we're going to take off to Egypt. And then the irony is, is actually they took Jeremiah the prophet, and this is in Jeremiah 43. They took Jeremiah the prophet and Baruch, son of Neriah, along with them. So they entered Egypt in disobedience. Disobedience to the Lord. Jeremiah came to them with the message. Do not, part of the message was, do not go to Egypt. Stay here. This is what God wants you to do. And they call him a liar. You're not from God. We're going to go to Egypt. And actually, we're going to take you as prisoner with us to Egypt. And we sort of, that's about the last that we hear of Jeremiah. So Jeremiah lived his life for God. He was a prophet of God. He delivered God's message, and he just endured persecution, was made fun of, was called a liar. You see now that, yeah, Pastor, you are right. He didn't have a very good life. I don't know if I would want to live in Jeremiah's shoes. I don't know if I would want to live his life or walk in his footsteps. We think that because we have the wrong perspective in mind. Jeremiah didn't live a good life. He lived a great life. Maybe not even in his own eyes. Maybe not in the eyes of other people. But in the eyes of God because he did what God told him to do. That is how your life is determined whether it is good or great. It's not what you accomplish. It's not what other people think of you. It's what you do for God. God designed you. He created you for a very specific purpose. Designed just for you. This is your job, your task, given to you by Almighty God. And if you do that task, 
you wouldn't have lived a great life. You may endure persecution. You may not have fun. You may not have a lot of pleasures in life. But all that stuff is all temporary anyway. Let's sort of look at some of this. To live a great life, we need to readjust our expectations. Put a picture of a, a thermostat there. You ever, I guess I sit more when I go to hotel rooms. Uh, we take our school kids, we take youth kids. I find myself in hotel rooms with other people. And one of the big issues is the thermostat. Because everybody wants to be comfortable. Now the problem is everybody has a different idea of what comfortable is. I like it more warm. So I don't want to get cold. I don't want necessarily air blowing on me at night. So I find at night. So I find that I will turn the the uh, air conditioning up a little bit so it's not as cool. Now a lot of other people they go the opposite direction. They'll turn it way down and get blankets. They just want to be cool when they sleep. So when you're in a room with a, a variety of different people, um, it's hard to make everybody happy. Everybody wants to be comfortable. And then you may get in arguments or turn it down, turn it up, or somebody sneak and turn it up, or somebody sneak and turn it down, or so forth like that. But I feel like that represents sort of what we think a good life is. I want to be comfortable. If I'm comfortable, then my life is good. I think for our kids and grandkids, we want them to be comfortable financially. So we have a plan for them graduate high school, go to college, and get a good job. And if they do all those things, and they make maybe more money than we made, or if they do pretty good with their finances, we consider, okay, they're living a good life. They got a couple cars. They got a nice house. They got a boat. They're good. They're living a good life. They're comfortable. Christians, we sort of think that the same way, even in our spiritual life. That's why a lot of times you will, we will be convicted of our sins and we'll run down and we'll run to God and say, God, forgive me and, and, and be forgiving. And then we get baptized and then usually we're on fire for God a little bit. Hey, I'm going to read the Bible a little bit. I'm going to go to church more than one time a week. We get on fire for God. But then we find a place where we get comfortable and we get content. I'm not as bad as I used to, and I'm, I got my routine. I go to church from uh, 11 to 12, most Sundays or at least a couple times a month. So I'm just content, and I'm good. I'm comfortable. It works for me. But to live a great life, we need to readjust our expectations. A great life is not achieved by being comfortable all the time. It's not by living securely. I was thinking about this a little bit. I'm not a big fan of, of, of buying insurance for everything. You know, it seems like you go, go to the computer store, buy a computer. Guess what they want you to buy? Insurance to go with it. I remember I used to work at uh, a Sears a long time ago, actually in the, in the Baytel Mall. 
and I used to sell computers. And every single thing that we sold in the computer section, I think it was a product protection plan, a PPP. We offered a PPP and it all determined on how much it was. If it was a uh, $2,000 computer, then your insurance was like, I don't know if it's 3% of that or so forth. And it was so silly because we'd find ourselves, somebody would come in to buy an extension cord for $5. And we'd offer them, hey, I can offer you, and we have to do it when they go up to register. Uh, we can offer you a product production plan for 50 cent. It's like, why do I want to do it? an insurance on my extension cord. But it's just that mindset. We want to be safe. We want to be secure. We want to make sure that everything's covered. And we think that by having uh, insurance on everything, then we can sleep comfortably at night and be at peace. But I was thinking about that a little this week. And then isn't it funny how then we even stress out about our insurance? I don't know if you live around this area long, but it seems like your insurance keeps going up stresses you out or you forget to, to pay a car insurance or you got to add kids to your car insurance there's just uh, security and the security stuff everywhere we have in our mindset I need to be secure I need to cover all my bases here so that I can be comfortable and at peace and we really never get there we can have insurance and live securely on everything I know a lot of us may have some home security things at our houses. Alarms that may go off if a window is open, if, if somebody tries to break in a door, we have alarm systems. But still, when you hear something outside, do you still ever get scared? There was a, a I forgot exactly what day it was, but there was a, a gunshot in my neighborhood. Might have been Lonnie Fisher, I'm not sure. But uh, a gunshot went off, and it was pretty loud, and it was pretty close. And then you start thinking, oh, no, am I safe? Am I secure? Even if I did everything in the world, uh, my best security that I have is dogs. <laughs> if you get anywhere near my house, a dog will know. And maybe our cats, too. They're pretty vicious. But uh, that is our number one security force there. But we want to live securely, and we try to do all these things to make sure our life is secure. But we're never content. I'm tired of myself and Christians always trying to be comfortable, always trying to live securely, always trying to avoid all types of confrontations. Then the Bible says to live at peace with everyone when you can. But that doesn't mean that you have to live at peace with everyone all the time. Jeremiah was not at peace with everyone. He ruffled some feathers. Why did he ruffle some feathers? Was Jeremiah out there doing um, selfish things that he wanted to do? No, he, was, he ruffled feathers because he was doing what God told him to do. I promise you. In our day and age, in our country, and probably just anywhere in the world, if you're doing what God tells you to do, you're going to meet some confrontations. Now, speaking of confrontations, most of us can handle confrontations. I was watching a little video this morning of a, uh, it's kind of cool, I thought about showing up for you, a, a, uh, an individual who started a satanic church in Africa actually got saved. 
And I thought that was, that was, that was pretty cool. But we would expect, I think most of us would be pretty cool to get uh, in a confrontation with the Satanists. Of course, they're going to be angry because they believe opposite what we believe. But the funny thing is, in most cases, you know who your confrontations are going to be with? People close to you or other Christians. Watch what's going on in our world right now. In the churches in America, see what's going on. See how much conflict and confrontation there is among churches. Jeremiah, he got all of his confrontation, not from the pagans of his day, not from the pagan Babylonians or, or other people that lived around that didn't necessarily supposed to follow God. He encountered confrontation and persecution from those who were supposed to be followers of God. So then to make sure and understand, we may ruffle some feathers. I think my biggest shock to me is when I felt God calling to calling me into the ministry at age 17. I thought, wow, I'm going to let everybody know and everybody's going to be so happy and proud of me. And I told my family and certain members of my family was greatly disappointed. And I didn't understand that. It's like, wait a minute, I'm giving my life for God. That's supposed to be a positive thing. Um, but they looked at it differently and they had different opinions and there was confrontations there. Readjust our expectations and what our life should look like. Shouldn't be comfortable all the time. We shouldn't be living in, in insecurity, completely secure, everything is covered. We shouldn't live a life that has no confrontations. But I think the biggest thing, and I saved it for last because I think it's one compass, a lot of the things we deal with is being happy all the time. We think the most important thing is for us to be happy. We had some weird things going on in our country the last couple years. Some really weird things. Some uh, things our country has never seen before. And many people were forced to do things or they felt they were forced to do things that they didn't necessarily want to do. They were forced to do things because they thought they didn't have a choice because they didn't want to lose some things that would make them happy. Whether it's jobs, careers, um, could have been finances in some ways. They decided, no, I can't lose the things that I believe make me happy. So I'm going to do whatever I have to do to keep those things. We think we're supposed to be happy all the time. If I'm living a good life, I'm supposed to be happy. And we even sell that to others. If you want to improve your life, come to Jesus. And, and yes, he will make you feel better and he can give you peace and he can give you a sense of joy that nothing else can. But that doesn't mean that your life isn't going to follow in the footsteps of Jeremiah and you're going to face some persecutions. A great life is one that is completely surrendered to God. And nothing else. Don't add anything to it. It's not about your contentment. It's not about your happiness. It's not about what you want to do. 
Thy will be done, not my will. And we're living in a day and age where we need Christians to have that mindset. I need to have that mindset. You need to have that mindset. As we look at the life of Jeremiah, understand God may call us to do something very similar. We may be persecuted. We may be made fun of by uh, people that we like and we thought that we're on our team. We may endure hardships and be called liars and be made fun of. That stuff may happen to us and that is okay. You don't throw in the towel and you don't give up. I think one thing that God's blessing has done to Christians in America has made us weak. The slightest bit of persecution and we're running the other way. I remember working in a job when I was in college, and I think I've told this story before, but I know some of you might not have been here. I had a little cubicle, and I had a little whiteboard, and it was like a, you would just call people. You would call people and ask them if they wanted jobs in the computer industry. So in a lot of my work, I didn't have to call necessarily a ton of people, but I would type on the computer and update files and different things like that. Now I'll call some or just get information to update files or so forth. But you had a little whiteboard in your cubicle, and you could put anything you wanted on it because it was to motivate you. What motivated you? You could put pictures, you could put sayings, you could put drawings, you could do whatever. That was your area, whatever would help you get motivated to make um, to be successful for the business, to work hard, to get your job done. So, and I would see people put a variety of things up. And I think God sort of convicted me, hey, if they can put some of that stuff up, I'm going to put a verse up there. So I put a verse up there, and guess what I was told to do? Mm, somebody complained, so I got to take it down. And guess what I did? Went over there, and I erased it. Did I have to? Of course I did, because I had to keep my job, because that was my only source of income while I was in college. That was my thinking. But I think if I would have prayed to God and said, God, what do you want me to do here? You know what I think God would have said? You keep it up, and consequences be what they may. You take a stand for me, it doesn't matter what happens. Yes, you may lose your job, it's okay. Yes, you may lose your apartment, or maybe I'll go hungry for a week or two. I doubt if any of that would have ever happened. But it didn't matter if it did. It shouldn't matter if those things do happen. The only thing that should matter is obedience to God. And I think we saw a little bit of that if you watch uh, uh, John MacArthur and, and some of these other uh, there's a handful of people that really took a stand um, during the lockdown stage about their churches or so forth, and they really were persecuted uh, for it or because of it. And that was very inspiring and motivating, especially in California where they were so hard on the churches. But the question would be is, is why wasn't there more churches in California that took a stand? You know, I'm not here pointing my finger at the churches in California because I would point it at myself and even uh, the people here as well. 
in all areas of our life. As soon as a little persecution comes, as soon as we offend one little person, you know what our first reaction is? Okay, I'll go erase it. I'll go get rid of it. I just, I just don't want to offend you. Uh, I don't want to lose my job. I don't want to make you mad. I'm not going to talk about religion or anything like that. If, if it makes you angry, I'm going to play it safe. I'm going to live securely because it makes my life happier and more enjoyable. But that's not a great life. A great life is one where you surrender everything to God. And I can't wait, and I'm ready, and I think it's going to come as the persecution increases that we're going to see a Christian over here and a Christian over there and, and Christian, all Christians in our churches, we're going to hear stories of persecution. And maybe we'll have testimony time during the church. During the, maybe even during the sermon, we'll take turns and we'll take turns standing up. Hey, I got fired this week because I took a stand for Jesus Christ. My son won't speak to me anymore because every time he does, I talk about Jesus Christ to him. Start hearing testimonies like that where we are truly sold out for God. That's what the kind of Christian we need today. We need more people like, as we go through the book of Jeremiah, we need more people like Jeremiah who will be obedient no matter what comes and be obedient to the end. But it all starts with a mindset. And the mindset is surrendering all to God. That's what Jeremiah did when he signed up for it. He said, okay, God, I give it all to you. This is all I got. I give it all regardless of what happens in my life, regardless how I live, regardless of the persecution, regardless of how I die. I give it all to you. If you would please stand. Let's end the, the sermon this morning with singing, I surrender all. And I think this needs to be, you need to think about it on two levels. Number one, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you need to just sign up for that and you need to surrender. I've been living for myself. I've been doing my own thing. I've never made you Lord of my life. It's time. You need to just say, I'm going to surrender. I'm not sure what the future is going to look like. I'm not even sure what it all entails. I'm not sure I understand everything, but I know I need to do it for the sake of my soul. But then there may be others of us in here that we've surrendered our life to God a long time ago, but then we, we take it all back and we're living for ourselves and we're worried about ourselves being happy. We may need to turn that back over to God. Today is the day. We need to be prepared as Christians for the times that are coming, I think, in the near future. Times where we take a stand, times where it's not all about us anymore. Times where we endure persecution with joy in our hearts because we're doing it to fulfill God's purpose. Let us sing this morning and let God move in your heart.
Shane Perez hopes this lesson encourages you and equips you to minister to others with your walk as a Christian. We would love to hear from you. Drop us an email at standfirmministries at yahoo.com.